as I watched the news on Wednesday, I'm sure with many of you, I was appalled, I was angry, and I was saddened. I was riveted, couldn't take my eyes off of it. It was like watching a slow train wreck that you could just see coming throughout the, the day. And I thought to myself, do I need to shift gears for Sunday's sermon? I was, as I've said before, in Ukraine for 9-11, and our family watched those images on TV and were shocked and saddened and dismayed. And I called Pastor Ivan Bispalov, who many of you now know, and I said, Ivan, I got to preach. I got to preach on Sunday. And he said, okay, and I preached on Psalm 46, God is our refuge and our strength. And I thought to myself, maybe this Sunday is one of those Sundays where you got to chuck what you had planned and you got to adjust on the fly to what's going on. Because those day, there are those days and there are those times. But on the other hand, as I thought about it, I thought, you know what? There's no end to such times. Such moments always come. And in a world where we get news all the time of things going on in this world, you could, you could just be chasing that forever. You could be preaching on whatever the current event is or reacting to whatever has taken place. And so another part of me said, no, no. You planned to go back to Samuel, go back to Samuel, preach on the next thing, and let's look at something together that is transcendent. That doesn't get shaken by everything that shakes up in this world. The word of God and the worship of the people of God. So I struggled between those two things. I found the resolution, at least as it relates to this Sunday, in the substance of our text that is before us this morning. A text which shows us a man who is tempted to unjustified violence, who is tempted to take matters into his own hands, and who, had he done so, would have been guilty of blood guilt, of shedding blood unlawfully. And he is restrained from doing that by the almighty hand of God exercised through a discerning woman who opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. I'm going to pick up the reading from verse 23, the word of God. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. 
And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. And evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living, in the care of the Lord your God, and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me truly by morning, there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her ham what she had brought him, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice and have granted your petition. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord, who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to you to take you to him as his wife. And she rose and bowed with her face to the ground, and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey, and her five young women attended her. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and both of them became his wives. So Saul had given Michal, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was of Gollum. Great God in heaven, we thank you for wise words that are aptly spoke in season. We pray now that as we, your people, hear these words from you to us today, that they would have the proper effect on our hearts. David heard words that he recognized as coming from you, and as a result, he changed. So, Lord, when we hear your word preached, proclaimed, don't let us go out of here the same as we were, 
Even if it's just a little change in us, Lord, change us every time we hear it. Help us to hear it well today. In Jesus' name, amen. Power and strength and wealth, they are dangerous. They are not only able to be misused, they are apt to be misused, especially when they are put into the hands of sinners, in the hands of God. Power and wealth are good. We just prayed the Lord's Prayer together, praising and thanking Him for His kingdom and His power and His glory. And surely, as God distributes gifts to humanity and gives power and strength wealth. Those things then are good gifts from him and they can and ought be by us employed for that which is good. But the reality is they are so easily and so quickly corruptible and corrupted when they get into our hands. Now certainly in our text we recognize that that is true for a rich fool like Nabal. It doesn't surprise us that Nabal acts this way. But what surprises us when we read this text, and what ought scare us when we read this text, is the foolishness is not restricted to Nabal, but belongs to David as well. Our text this morning is in an interesting position, and since it's been some time since our last sermon from Samuel, let me remind you of how this text is situated as it comes to us. Chapter 25, if you want to think of it this way, is the, is the middle part. It's the inside of a sandwich. In chapter 24 and then in chapter 26, we are presented with examples of David's restraint, of David refraining from violence. David not only is practicing a level of self-restraint there, but likewise he is restraining his men. His men are bent on violence, bent on using their hands to harm, to kill Saul, the Lord's anointed, who was in their hands. And I keep using the word hands here because it's very visual for us and it's repeated over and over again in these three chapters. It is the way to understand these three chapters. What's going on with the hands? David's men want him to use his hands, the hands of a warrior, to finish Saul and David refuses and he says over and over, I will not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. I won't do it. And thus, he can say to Saul, when he has opportunity, having not done that, to address Saul, he can say to Saul, my hands are clean. There's no wrongdoing in my hands. There's no treason in my hands. There's no evil in my hands. David had the power. He had the strength. He had the opportunity. He had the skilled hands of a warrior. Hands that had killed. But he checked them. He checked all of that in the spirit 
of Romans 12, verses 17 through 20, 21. And these we read in the last sermon on Samuel 20, 1 Samuel 24. But let me read them again, because you have to hear how much they apply to this situation. Romans 12, 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Okay, that's what's happening in this scene here, right? David wants to repay Nabal evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Abigail comes in to say, whoop, whoop, this is what's honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, even with the Nabals of the world. That's added. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. David, David, don't do this. Leave this to God. God has got this one. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. That's exactly what Nabal didn't do, right? I'm not sharing my water, my, my food. I'm not sharing it with this guy and all of the people with him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. David, I don't know how close I could get my fingers. He is this close to being overcome by evil in this situation. Saul had acted foolishly and rashly with his own hands. Right? He had picked up the spear, thrown it at David a couple of times, thrown it at his son, Jonathan. But David had refrained, demonstrating righteousness, peace, honor, respect. That's the, that's the bread that's on either side of this. And now we come to this passage, this passage that is in the middle and the, the, the picture here when we get to it is different, right? We see that even the wise and the righteous can be tempted to misuse the power and the position that they have been given. Let's look at these two men. Nabal is rich, and he's described as rich, wealthy, and with that kind of wealth in every age, but certainly in this age in particular, comes with it power and influence, but not necessarily wisdom. Nabal is a fool. The men from David, they come in peace and they greet with peace. They give that trifold peace greeting, shalom, 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 reminds us of our Lord. Our Lord at his resurrection, peace be with you. My peace I give to you. Nabal hears this, hears the request. Now, he may not have liked the way things were being done here. He may have reasoned to himself, wait a minute here, wait, 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 wait. I didn't hire you to watch my sheep, to protect my shepherds. I didn't expect you to do it. We didn't agree to some kind of terms. You do this and I'll do that for you. This feels like a shakedown rather than a, hey, come to the feast and enjoy this food that is there. Maybe he thought that. 
And, and, and certainly he thought, besides, I'm not going to give up all that it takes to feed not only the guys who are in front of me right now, but I know you've got like 600 guys up there. I'm not going to give up all of the food to feed 600 of you, feast day or not. Now, wisdom. Wisdom would have said this. Wisdom would have, would have looked at this situation and gone, you know what? You know what? I know that there's 600 guys up there. And probably what I ought to do here, even if I don't like this situation, even if, if it doesn't feel right to me, what I should probably do is, I want to share. I think that's probably the call of the day. I should give food. I should give drink to David and his servants. At a minimum, at a minimum, wisdom would have been more diplomatic, right? Even if you're going to say no. It could have been more diplomatic. It could have said something like, listen, David, appreciate all that you've done. Appreciate the care that you and your men have given, but it's been a tight year. Uh, I've got a lot of families that are depending on me. I'm not able to give you this food right now, but I appreciate you. But Nabal is a rich fool, and he's unaccustomed to being pushed around, and he's uncomfortable with being humbled, and so, instead of wisdom, he exercises foolishness and he insults, and throws insults back at David. Verse 10, Nabal answered David's servants, who is David and who's the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Please understand, Nabal is not seeking information here. He's not trying to understand, you know, who's this David guy? Tell me, tell me more about him. That's not the point. The point here is to be dismissive, to be derisive with respect to David. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? Coming down and asking me to feed 600 of his men. Coming down with 10 guys who kind of look rough, tough, and asking me to do this. He throws the insults back because he's a fool, and that's what fools do. Isaiah 32.6 on the front of your bulletin. For the fool speaks folly. Well, there it is. Okay? He's the fool. He's speaking folly. And his heart is busy with iniquity to practice ungodliness, to utter error concerning the Lord, to leave the craving of the hungry unsatisfied, to deprive the thirsty of drink. That's exactly what's going on here. You've got the men who are hungry and thirsty, and the fool says, no, not today. Not today. And this isn't surprising to us, right? It's not surprising to us that the man whose name is synonymous with being a fool would act in a way that is foolish. The whole organization of the text has led us to expect this. It doesn't tell us anything different. We're, we're led right to this point. What is surprising to us is that David is going to respond with foolishness. David's going to turn it right back at this Fool, because sometimes fools provoke you to do things that are foolish. Perhaps he was rattled, David, by the news of Samuel's death. Perhaps he thought when he heard the news of Samuel's death, now who is going to resolve this whole kingship issue now that Samuel is gone? We don't know, but regardless, regardless, when news of this insult arrives to David... David doesn't take time to think. He doesn't take time 
to pray. He doesn't count to ten. Take the pause. He doesn't, and if you can draw back a couple of sermons back into Samuel, he doesn't consult Abiathar, the priest. He doesn't consult Gad, the prophet. What should I do? Where should I go? Should I go down and take this Nabal and take this food? He doesn't consider the Lord's ability to right wrongs. He reacts. He reacts. Strap on your swords. David is insulted. And he's loaded for bear and he's going to kill. Saul wiped out an entire town of priests because they gave David bread. David is on the verge of wiping out an entire clan in the heart of Judah because they withheld it. And they withheld it with an insult against him. Now we can look at this and we can shake our heads at David and say, David, 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 you should should have known better. David, tisk, tisk, that's, you, you can't react that way. Don't hit your brother back just because your brother hit you. Don't say that about your brother just because your brother said that about you. But this, what we're saying here, this is the danger of power. And it is a scalable danger for everyone who has power. David's power and the might of his mighty men has been and will be used for good. It will be in, and we've already seen it and we'll see it in times to come and chapters to come, it will be and has been used for good when needed and it has been restrained when it's needed to be restrained. But here, the power is going to be misused. Violence will be misused. He's angry. He's smarting. He's embarrassed, right? Because he didn't only get insulted. It wasn't only a little private thing that happened and only those two know about it. The insult was done to his men, was done to him by his men. So kind of all of his men know this insult that has just taken place. He's embarrassed. And that puts a person in a very vulnerable position because you don't like it. And maybe David thinks to himself, you know what, I just let Saul off the hook. When, when my men wanted to kill him, I just let him off the hook. If I let this Nabal guy treat me like this, insult me like this, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to lose the respect of the people who are around me. I've got to take care of this thing right now. And so, the I'll show you attitude takes over. And that can happen to anyone who has power of whatever sort. That power, that strength, that wealth can be abused. Husbands can abuse it. They can take the power of the position, perhaps the physical power of wealth as well, and abuse it. Parents can abuse it. Nations 
can abuse it. Soldiers can abuse it. Pastors can abuse it. Politicians can abuse it. Police can abuse it. Popes can abuse it. Older siblings can abuse it. They can use power and strength over their younger, smaller siblings. Managers can abuse it. Judges can abuse it. And let me get it down as low as I can. Pet owners can abuse it. Any situation in which you have the power over something or someone else can be abused. Proverbs. Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of this beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. I have a new puppy who has brought out in me foolishness that I thought was buried. I thought it was done away with. I thought it was gone. I thought I'd grown in puppy patients and other patients. Little did I know. Anyone who has any kind of power can abuse it. The failure to recognize that potential, that reality, is foolish. It's foolish. The recognition of this reality, that power can and is apt to be misused, is why this country, this great country of ours, was hardwired with a series of checks and balances because they didn't trust themselves, they didn't trust one another to have and to hold power. It's dangerous. And let's be clear about something. David's not wrong in his assessment of Nabal. Right? David's not wrong about who Nabal is and his character. Nabal is a fool. He's an ungrateful, ungracious, flippant fool. And that's confirmed by the fact that the Lord finally strikes him down, right? We have to wonder. Maybe he was better than we think. No, he wasn't better than we think. He wasn't better than David thought. He's a fool. And the Lord took care of that. David was wrong in that he intended to take matters into his own hands. And he praises Abigail because she kept him, verse 33, from working salvation with my own hand. We want these hands to be able to make things right. And they can't do it. It's in God's hand to make these things right. Abigail. What a woman. And I intend to, in just a moment, extol Abigail. To, if we will, praise her in the gates for her virtue. As she serves as a check, as a balance, as the hand of restraint. For David. But before we do that, we have to rejoice and we have to see the source. Abigail, when she comes to David, points David to the Lord. She says, as the Lord lives, 
The Lord will make you a sure house. You are fighting the battles of the Lord. The Lord is protecting your life. The Lord is doing you good. The Lord will deal well with you. And as David then reflects on her words, and then he reflects then on the death of Nabal, he says, the God of Israel sent you. The Lord has restrained me. The Lord has avenged me and kept me back from this evil. The Lord has returned the evil on Nabal's head. Both of them recognize that the hero of the story is the Lord. The Lord is the one who is protecting here and preserving the king. And they see it. And yet, as is highlighted for us in the text, the Lord works out this will and his ways through people in this world. And in our text, through fairly insignificant people, and I only say Abigail is insignificant in the way she would have been viewed as a woman in the times. She's not insignificant, but as she would have been viewed, you got two. You got one servant who's unnamed, who comes to Abigail and says, we have a problem. Houston, we've got a problem because Nabal just went off and did one of his things. And he goes and he tells Abigail. And then, and then Abigail responds. And, and, and then we see the providence. And it's hard to figure out exactly what's going, down, going on here. But you get this idea that David's coming this way, Abigail's coming this way, and they come around the bend of the mountain, they meet one another before David has had a chance to send out his troops to kill who's ever coming up from there. And he said, whoa, 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 whoa. And, and they're right in front of each other with David having had not killed her or whoever was approaching from that angle. But let's now look at Abigail along with the text. She is discerning and beautiful. She is a woman who models discretion she is in every way, and I think this is the best way to summarize her as Scripture often does. She is in every way a worthy woman. A worthy woman. And she immediately makes us think, as we're in context of this story, of two others who preceded her, right? Ruth and Hannah. Two other worthy women who knew the Lord, remembered what he had done for Israel. She reminds me of Mary as well, the mother of our Lord. She is insightful. She understands the situation. She is decisive. She sees what needs to be done, and it needs to be done now. She's active. She's courageous. She's godly. She's incredibly humble. She's eloquent. She is one calm cucumber under pressure. The stakes could not be higher. And she's calm. She's the voice of reason and wisdom between a fool and a man about to act foolishly. I wonder, I wonder if over the years did Abigail ever say to herself, how in the world did I end up with this fool of a husband? And I think if she wondered that, 
Here's the biblical answer. For such a time as this, I need you right now, right in this spot. You recognize that, right? Mordecai, Esther. For such a time as this, you're here. With everything that God has granted you, you are here. I don't think it's a stretch to say that she is used by God to preserve not only her household, which she does, right? David was bent on destroying every male in the household. But she was used by God to preserve the Davidic kingship, which was on the line right here, had David been guilty of this. She restrains David's wrath. How? How does she do it? By intercession? By coming and pleading? By offerings? Receive this? By words? Explaining the danger of the sin David is on the cusp of to him? Reminding David of the promises that God has made concerning him? Words matter. Words can incite Nabal. Words can calm Abigail. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It's Proverbs 15.1. You ever want a story to go along with Proverbs 15.1? Here it is right here. How does she do it? By coming in humility. She's bowing down as she says all of these words. And then, and here's what I don't want us to miss at all. How does she restrain the wrath? By owning Nabal's sin. Verse 24, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Now, that's a little bit of rhetoric there. It's a way to emphasize the point. But in the, in the sweep of the Bible, when, when you get a picture of someone saying, let it be on me. Let it be on me. Counted to me. And having owned the sin, she pleads for forgiveness. Please forgive the trespass of your servant. Verse 28. How... Did she restrain David's wrath, saving him from blood guilt? She took Nabal's guilt upon herself. She was, in other words, Christ-like. Praise God for Abigail for Abigail's who restrain fools like us. Thank you, my love. Thank you to Jesus who could have been, who would have been justified in using his holy and righteous power to destroy us for our foolishness, for our thanklessness, for our pridelessness, 
He could have destroyed us for the insults that we hurled upon him in our sin. But he used his power instead to become a humble servant that we might be saved. He took our sins upon himself and then he himself became the offering and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They're fools. They're fools. Forgive them. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. They are safe in his hands. Jesus redeemed power to save us from ourselves. He did not raise up his hands in violence, but he allowed them instead to be nailed to a cross. He saved us. And he saved us that we might use the power that he grants to us in humble service to one another. And to allow us to give to one another the good word in season to open our mouths in wisdom, to allow the teaching of kindness to be on our tongues. So, brothers and sisters, no temptation has overtaken you, which is not common to men. God is faithful, and with the temptation, he will provide the means of escape that you may be able to endure it. And so, and so, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The temptation of this week, the temptation of our times, is to be overcome with evil. To return insult for insult, blow for blow, harsh word for harsh word, evil for evil. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome it with good. Great God in heaven, it is beyond us. We know how often we have failed in our thoughts, in our words, with our hands. Forgive us. And in whatever position of authority or power you've put us in, may we use it to serve, to love, to care for, to do that which is good. We pray this in your name. Amen.